Amen, amen, amen. Come on, someone get a little hand clap of praise for his goodness and for his mercy that indeed is from everlasting to the everlasting. Had it not been for the Lord with us even this morning, where would we be not to even mention down through our lives? It was his mercy and his goodness. Not because you were so good, but just because he was so great. So we praise God and thank God for his mercy toward us. Demonstrated supremely through life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. 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 Well, beloved, welcome to the church gathered at Forest Baptist. It is good to see you this week, and I want to just say thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your prayers this week. I told someone when I came in, my, I felt good, my voice felt good, I might go an extra half hour in preaching today. No, I won't do that. I'll keep it short. I don't want to do too much too soon. But I do thank the Lord for your prayers. And also, let me say, I, I thank the Lord for the uh, community of love and support that we have. Let, so let me tell you, let me give you just a word of advice. If a bunch of your church folk, a virtu uh, if a bunch of your church family is telling you to do something, would you do it? Just listen. I found myself needing to heed those words last Sunday. I was talking to a few folks. They said, well, have you been to the doctor? I'm like, nah, I'm okay. I, I, I get over it. I'm feeling good. Talk to someone else. Well, have you been to the doctor? Nah, I'm good. I, I get over it. I'll be all right. Talk to a few other folks. And the Lord was like, now if you don't listen to these folks who love you, you get that? See, it's one thing to listen to someone who don't love you. It's another thing to listen to someone when they do love you. So sometimes when we walk up in church and folks are telling you something, and it's not because we want to be mean to you, it's because we love you. So I just won't be dispensing wisdom. Uh, there's times where I need to heed wisdom as well. Amen. Well, upon this Sunday morning, I ask if you would turn with me in your Bibles. To Matthew the third chapter and before we dig in you know, too deeply uh, just want to make sure we are in prayer today especially in light of the events of this past week this past week here in Louisville and even on yesterday where we see the manifestation of evil and wickedness uh, that is demonic. Beloved, that's the bottom line. Racism and hate is demonic. It's of Satan. You know, we can't dress it up. We can't say it's a preference. We can't say, I just want to be with my people. Racism is demonic. And my prayer is that we see that racism is not just a concept of I don't like you. Racism has hands and feet and bullets. And beloved, we, we don't grow weary in well-doing. We continue to trust the Lord and we continue to believe in him. But let us not be naive. Much as we do love this country, in America, my blackness has always either been a threat or a target. But even in spite of, God is able to rescue and to redeem and to work. So we move forward not in fear but by faith. And we want to make sure we are in prayer for the families of those touched by such wickedness and, tragi and tragic violence. We want to be in prayer for us here at Forest Baptist Church, and uh, we want to be mindful that we are vigilant, and we're, and we're mindful, uh, because the truth is, 
we are a historic African-American church. 151 years in gospel ministry, we need to make sure we are taking steps and measures to ensure our safety. And some of that is, uh, apart from, been, been talking with the trustees, and, and uh, apart from Sunday mornings, if you were here at the church for a meeting, whatever, uh, the doors will be locked behind you. We have a doorbell. We have a ring doorbell system. So if there's people in the church, they're able to open up their app and see who's at the doors. And there's just small things like that to take out of precautions. Uh, I'm actually grateful this morning to Sister Hart, and she, she put a, a word in my ear, just really touched me. Uh, for some time now, uh, we have been sitting on the front row, and I, I'm kind of mindful. Uh, and, I, and I'm praying and thinking through what it would look like for uh, for me to return back to sit in the pulpit, not for any uh, grandeur, but simply because I can see the door and you can't. And as the shepherd of this house, I feel it a responsibility to make sure that we are protecting you. So we may have some changes to the stage. Uh, I don't want to uh, discourage anybody by what may change, but beloved, believe me, it, 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 is, it is for our safety and protection. So whether we still have this wooden pulpit here, we have something that's mobile, it's, it's not because we don't love Jesus, it's because I love Jesus and I love you too. So I just want to make mention of that before we get into the word of God today, amen? So if you have, if you turn with me in your Bibles or click with me on your device, and let's go to Matthew, the third chapter, and as you do, uh, please stand, we'll be reading verses 1 through 6, and we are in the midst of a series, within a series. Uh, our series, a, uh, the, the King Has Come, a journey, through Je uh, journey with Jesus through the Gospel of Matthew. And here we find ourselves in the third chapter, and we are looking at, at the life of John the Baptist. And we've come to this study of God's last prophet. And today and, and for the next few weeks, we'll be looking at the man, John the Baptist, the message of John the Baptist, and finally, the ministry of John the Baptist. And we'll be looking at how every aspect of who John the Baptist was, was for the purpose of pointing people to Jesus. So this morning, we will finish up our introduction of the man, John the Baptist, and like I said, we'll be reading from verses 1 through 6, uh, but really we'll be primarily focusing on just verse 1. Matthew, the third chapter, verses 1 through 6, and this is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And Lord, I add a blessing to the reading of this word. You may be seated. As we continue to look at the life of this man, John the Baptist, if there was any kind of tag I will put on this text, is really greatness through service. Greatness through service. Let us pray. Gracious and eternal Father, we do thank you for who you are. And Father, I, my prayer is that you would be the center of our lives right now. And as the song declares, Lord, nothing else matters. May you be the center of our minds. May you be the center of our heart. May you be the center of our whole being today, dear God. Because apart from you, there is no hope and there is no life. Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Please come in and awaken our dead and dull hearts. Father, we've been eating at the world's table too long and we're losing our appetite. Father, I just ask you to have mercy. 
that you will intervene and intercede and cause us to love you with all of our affections and all of our being this morning. For you are worthy to be praised. You are worthy of our worship. For you are magnificent and you are mighty and you are majestic and you are merciful and gracious and long-suffering. And you are, you are so patient with us even in the midst of our sin. And you are, your love is from everlasting to everlasting. And it endures forever to all generations. Father, we just, we just stopped by this morning to say thank you. Thank you, O oh Lord, for waking us up one more day, Lord. Thank you for helping us up out of the bed, knowing it, it was not our alarm clock that got us up, but it was your loving mercy and grace that touched us upon the temple of our brow, and you allowed us to get up in our right mind with a, a decent amount of health and to make it one more time to journey one more time to, to your house, O oh God. And Heavenly Father, as we enter into worship, may you prepare our hearts for worship. Father, may you tear down strongholds and yokes. That which hinders and prohibits us from coming to you rightly this morning. Father, I ask that you would forgive us for our sins. For the ways we have sinned against you and the way we have sinned against one another. Father, our attempts to make our own name great instead of your name. Father, as we come, may we come broken and bowed down, knowing that we are helpless and hopeless apart from you. So, King Jesus, I ask that you would have your way. Father, may you take my weak words. Father, we don't show up to try to make anything of ourselves, but we show up like Paul. We show up in our weakness that the power of Christ may rest upon us. May you be magnified and may you be glorified in this place today. In the precious and matchless and mighty name of Jesus the Christ, we do pray. All of God's people said, amen. Amen. Indeed, beloved, this week we pick up where we left off last week. And some 25 years have passed since the end of chapter 2 to the beginning of chapter 3. Jesus, he is now an adult. He is not the baby in the manger. He is not the, the baby fleeing uh, to Egypt, but he is a man now. And the beginning of his earthly ministry is at hand. But before Jesus' earthly ministry begins, Matthew introduces us to John the Baptist. And in John, we see the embodiment, the, the culmination of the Old Testament prophets. One raised up by God to call God's covenant people back into relationship with him. That's the Old Testament call. God would raise up his prophets to call the people of God back into a relationship with him because some way, somehow, they had wandered off. Beloved, is that not the same type of call we need in our own lives from time to time? Is that not the same type of call we need in our own life these days where we need a call from the Lord to remind us to come back into relationship with him. Uh, but beloved, when I was thinking about how, how God was using the Old Testament prophets to call back Israel over and over and over again, it reminded me that the human condition, we are one that seems to forget. We are so quick to forget the goodness of God Running around in our hearts singing, Janet Jackson, what have you done for me lately, Lord? <laughs> Beloved, it reminds me of the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And the, and the last stanza, it, it, it's always a stanza that's profound because it, it resonates with my own soul. And, it, and, it, and the song says, oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let the goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Beloved, I don't know about you, but some days my heart is prone to wander. When I get fed up and 
and begin to watch the television and, and begin to uh, uh, be concerned about the ongoings day in and day out. My heart is prone to wander. When I'm anxious about today and tomorrow, when I'm anxious about what, what is, what's going to happen next week, my heart becomes prone to wander. When I begin to think about my own needs and the needs of God's people, my, my heart is prone to wander. My heart is prone to wander any time I begin to think of my own glory over the glory of Christ. And that is often, I am often prone to wander. Beloved, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm prone to wander. And there are times in my life where I just need a word from the Lord to bring me back to where I need to be. Beloved, how often do you find yourself wandering? How often do you feel your heart being led astray? Uh, my cry is like that of the song writer. Lord, here's my heart. I can't keep myself. Lord, you've taken seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And beloved, when we are prone to wander, God uses those John the Baptists in our own life to bring us back. Can I ask a, a personal question? Who's the John the Baptist in your own life? Or do you just think you got this Christian life so figured out you don't need nobody to speak into your life? Uh, are all the folks you talk on the telephone with those who don't love Jesus? Do you, do you got Christian friends? Beloved, we need those folks in our lives who's going to tell us when we're wandering and help bring us back to the God that we love. And when we look at the text here in, in Matthew, the third chapter, this is exactly what's happening. God, in his infinite grace, is sending one to his people to bring them back from wandering. Now, remember, Matthew takes place some 400 years after the end of the book of Malachi. There have been 400 years of silence, no one speaking on the behalf of God, and then John the Baptist shows up. There has been silence, but now God is speaking. And Israel had wandered into a religion of works and acceptance based upon the law, a religion rooted in lineage and not life. They were basing their acceptance to God just because they were, quote, unquote, children of Abraham. It doesn't matter if your daddy was the preacher. It doesn't matter if your mama was on uh, the mother's board. It doesn't matter if your uncle was an usher or, or some of your, one in your family was a trustee. It's about who do you say Jesus is. Our relationship is not based upon our blood family, but our heavenly family. But by God's grace, now God uses John to begin calling his people back to him and to prepare their hearts for the arrival of King Jesus. And last week, we began looking at the life of John the Baptist, and we, we were recognizing just how valuable he is to us today. We don't want to overlook John the Baptist. You know, sometimes we treat John the Baptist like a sidekick. You know, growing up, I, I loved comic heroes, and I loved cartoons, and, 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 and strangely enough, my, my favorite hero wasn't Batman. My favorite hero wasn't Superman. My, my favorite hero wasn't Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, or whatnot. It, it's crazy, because my, my favorite superhero was Robin. Y'all like, who? Robin was the sidekick to Batman. They used to call him Boy Wonder. I, I don't know why, but Robin just resonated with me. I don't know if it, it was because I thought that my daddy was the Batman, I was his Robin, or, or I have an older sister, and we used to get into a bunch of stuff, and, and I was her Robin to her Batman. But, beloved, we often overlook the sidekick, and we may see John the Baptist as the sidekick here in the text, but, beloved, he is much more than that. He is a valuable asset. He is a hero of the faith that we need to sit down and learn from here today from this text. As we are looking here, we are reminded 
that John is of great value because John, he appears in all four Gospels. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we saw last week, he appears in every single one. And most of the time, apart from Matthew, he shows up in the very beginning, like the first chapter. We saw last week that in the Gospel of Luke, the first chapter, uh, we see that he too was born as an act of divine fulfillment, born after the word of an angel comes and says, you will have a son. We see that John's arrival was the fulfillment of prophecy. Math, uh, and, and, and Malachi, the fourth chapter, verses five and six, the, the text tells us, behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And the hearts of their of their children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Uh, John the Baptist was prophesied to come. We also saw that John was the forerunner. He was the herald for King Jesus. This is what we see here in, in the text where it says in verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Isaiah prophesied of him. There would be one who comes before the king to say, get ready because the king is come. Wake up and pay attention because the king is coming. Don't get caught slipping. Don't be caught tripping. The king is coming, and you better be ready. So he is a, a forerunner to King Jesus, and according to Jesus' own words in the 11th chapter of Matthew, among those born of woman, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. John is the goat. He is the greatest of all time. Of all those born of a woman, Jesus himself says, John is the greatest. Beloved, what we need to see this morning is that John wasn't just great to be great, but John's greatness was directly related to his humble service to the kingdom of God. John's great service is what made him great. When we see these modern-day athletes and we see these celebrities and we think they're so great and we think that one day they just may have showed up and all of a sudden the people's attention are turned towards them. But if you look in the backgrounds, if you look at some of these documentaries about their lives, you see that a lot of work took place. They wasn't waking up late on Saturday morning, sleeping in. They were up early, working out, strengthening their bodies, doing drills, preparing for the game, preparing for action. And, and we see this same type of preparation in the life of John the Baptist. He didn't just show up one day, but God was with him from the womb, preparing him to be great. We need to learn much from the life of John the Baptist. And beloved, because serving Jesus is life's greatest pursuit, you should value a life of service for Jesus as greatest. I'll say that again, because serving Jesus is life's greatest pursuit, you should value a life of service for Jesus as the greatest. How do you know if your life is worth anything? Well, one reason we know our life is worth much because we've been created in the image of God, the Imago Dei. So even before we do or say anything, we have inherent value, dignity, and worth just because God created us in his image. But in the Christian walk, we, we know that, that, that we're doing the right thing when we are not living for ourselves, but we're living for the one who died for us, gave himself up for us, Jesus Christ. So last week, we, we started out our introduction by saying you should value those who point you to Jesus. And, and you, you should value those who teach you the word of God. Those who will take the time to explain and unfold and expound and unpack the word of God. We should have a, some sense of value and appreciation for those who take the time to teach us the word of God. We should also value those who encourage you with and through the word of God. Someone who is able to come alongside of you and open up a scripture and say, this is what God says about who you are. You ain't got to worry about the, the, you're having an identity which everyone's love. Your identity is securely wrapped up in Jesus Christ. Someone could come alongside of you when you're feeling down and now who who's able to remind you, you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. 
Someone who's able to come alongside that, neither height nor death, no, no, no things past or things present that can, can separate you from the love of Christ. If, if don't nobody love you here, I, I know uh, uh, my Father in heaven loves me. We must have those people in our lives who are able to speak the truth of scriptures over our lives to help us just keep going on. But, beloved, we also should value those who hold you accountable to the word of God. We should value those who, who remind us and, and tell us when we are uh, in error, when we are going the wrong way. This, this, is, this is the whole premise of 2 Timothy 3.16 which says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped. Uh, 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 the, the person who is obedient to God's word has a firm foundation. That's doctrine. Is able to, to go through life and, and, and to not go into trouble. That's reproof. Reproof says stop. Don't, don't do that. But God is so good that he gives us his word that even when we fall in the mess, he gives us a word for correction. Now, you fell down. Now, I'm going to show you how to get back up. And he's able to give you instructions and righteousness. It is God who teaches you how to live rightly. We don't come up with our own sense of morality, our own sense of ethics. We, 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 we decide what's good and what's wrong. No, God has given us his ethic, and it's in the word of God. He teaches us how to live righteously, how to walk right. Beloved, you need people not giving you their own opinion. Girl, if I was you, oh, bruh, come on, bruh. This is what you should be doing. We, I, we don't need a word from man. Man is broken in every aspect. The, the, the doctrine of human depravity shows us that every single aspect of my life has been touched by sin. My body has touched, been touched by sin. My, my mind has been touched by sin. My emotions have been touched by sin. My, my spiritual, my, my heart has been touched by sin. So I, so I can't really trust, I can't really, really trust myself, but I can trust the word of God. So when somebody comes talking to you, if it ain't scripture, if it ain't the word of God, I don't know what you're going to do with that. Because only the word of God will last. And we show our value for those who point us to Jesus. Watch this. When we listen. When we actually become doers of God's word and not just hearers of God's word. How can you, how can you better value someone in your life in, uh, uh, apart from they're showing you how to live a a life of obedience to God, and you actually listen to them. There's, there's nothing more joyful for a pastor's heart than to see the people of God walking in obedience. There's nothing greater. Big church doesn't matter. A wide ministry doesn't matter. But when men, women, boys, and girls are coming into church each and every week, and they really love Jesus, that really matters. Our second exhortation, exhortation or urging from the text this week as we pick up that we get from the life of John the Baptist is only those who value Jesus can point others to Jesus. Only those who actually value Jesus can point others to Jesus. Simply put, if you don't know Jesus, you can't show Jesus. If you don't love Jesus, you can't live for Jesus. Beloved, John the Baptist knew the Lord. John is one of those in scriptures whom we, we know for sure would be in glory. We don't have to question that. And, and we see confirmation of this in, in, in John's birth narrative in Luke, the first chapter, and where in verse 15, he, the text tells us that John was filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Beloved, to be filled with the Holy Spirit means that God has came and take resident, residency in your life. This is, what, this is the feeling that, John, uh, that, that Jesus is talking about in John 3, that the, that the Spirit moves forth as a wind and he goes wherever it goes. But when the Holy Spirit falls upon you, you will be saved. 
When the Holy Spirit falls upon you, oh, blind eyes are open. Deaf ears are unstopped. And hard hearts are softened. And God himself will take residency up in you. And you will begin to serve the Lord. So we know that Jesus, that, that John the Baptist was saved, that he, he knew the Lord. But even apart from that testimony, if we, were, if we didn't have Luke's report, we could still tell that John knew the Lord and valued the Lord in his life. You know, you could tell a lot by a person, by their checkbook. Our checkbooks kind of show where our priorities and where our values are in life. Beloved, if we could put your bank statement up on the screen right now, what would your bank statement say about you? Y'all like, oh, boy, I, I wonder if my husband's seen that transaction. I wonder if my wife know where I've been. Uh, what, what, what habits do you have? What secrets are you trying to keep? Beloved, at the end of the day, when you look at your bank statement, what do you really love the most? The same is true about the Lord. You can tell if a person values the Lord through their service. From the text, I believe we can see three ways that we know John pointed people to Jesus because he valued the Lord. Three ways. The first one, we know that John was qualified to point people to the Lord because he came preaching for the Lord. In verse 1, it says right there, in those days, in, in the days where Jesus' ministry was about to jump off, John the Baptist came what? Preaching. This, this word preaching, this, this declaration of something good, this, this heralder was, was coming and telling people about the good news of the Lord that if they would just turn and repent from their sins, if they would confess their sins and look to Jesus Christ, then they would be rescued from the day of judgment. That, uh, that's the message that John the Baptist came preaching. He wasn't just talking about himself. Oh, you know, I've been in ministry about you know, 15 years now, and, you know, I, I've written five books, and, and I, I, I got a big congregation over on the east side of the Jordan River. You know, he wasn't come preaching about himself. He came preaching about the Lord with the message of repentance for the kingdom of heaven was at hand. Beloved, I don't know if you knew, but, but everyone is listening to somebody preach. And all of our lives, if, if we think of preaching as heralding on, on behalf of someone, who do you have preaching to you? What, what words are, are coming into your ears? What, 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 what visuals are coming into your eyes? And, and what message is that preaching to you? What songs do we find ourselves singing a hook? Uh, you're singing the hook over, uh, the, the hook's just stuck in your head, you going on and on, like, you know what that hook really saying? What, what, what shows are, are we watching? What, what friendships do we really have? Who's preaching to you? Because at the end of the day, when, when someone is preaching to you, you're taking that in, and it's going to impact how you live. You know, being in youth ministry for so long, I used to always talk about having wise choices in music. And I would often point students for, uh, to uh, Philippians 4 and 8 and just being mindful uh, uh, that if it, can, if it can pass the Philippians 4 8 examination, then it's probably good for you to listen to. Philippians 4 8, whatever is good, whatever is wonderful, whatever is, is helpful, you know, those, whatever, th whatever things can, are worthy of praise. If, 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 the, if, the, the, tech, if the song or if the show can meet those guidelines, then that's probably good. But I will often be rebutted by, well, I just, I, I just like the beat. I just listen to the beat. I said, well, that beat got lyrics on top of it. And you wonder why you look like you look and talk like you talk. You may not even notice, but it's those words being preached to you that you're taking in. It's impacting your life. Beloved, everyone is being preached to. But not only that, everybody is preaching. Since everybody is preaching, 
the question could be asked, what kind of preacher are you? Who are you preaching for today? Who, when, when people see you coming, do they already know what's going to come out your mouth? Do they, do they shake their head like, oh, Lord? Do they turn and run because they know what you're preaching? Do they know that you're, you're, you're preaching bitterness? You're preaching frustration. You're, you're preaching anger. You're, 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 you're preaching uh, belittling other people. What are you preaching? Well, beloved, at the end of the day, when we look at John the Baptist, you can't help but to preach what you know. And John the Baptist had an intimate relationship with the Lord, so he was just preaching what he knew. And as we leave this place and we head out into the highways and to the byways, as we go on to our jobs and we sit in our homes, what is coming out of our mouth ain't really fake. It's what we know. And, beloved, if we really, if we really, really knew the Lord Jesus Christ, and if we really knew his word, folks wouldn't be getting our opinion on the situation. They'd be getting the Lord's word on the situation. We, we always got an opinion about something, but what does the Lord have to say? It's easy to look at the text and know that John valued the Lord because he came preaching for the Lord. But secondly, we know that John was qualified to point people to the Lord because he leveraged all he had to reinforce his message from the Lord. What do we mean? When I look at the text here, I see that John is leveraging every aspect of his life for the Lord. Here in verse 1, we see that John, he, he, he leveraged his area for the Lord. It says, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness. In the wilderness, that was a a common expression or a common place for the prophets of God to come from. So for the prophet to come out of the wilderness would, would, would help people to, to see and identify that they didn't get this word from just being around people. They got this word from God. They, they, like when Moses went up on, on Mount Sinai in the wilderness, he, he went to the wilderness and got a word for the Lord for the people. So when the text says he, he's come out of the wilderness, it, it assumes that you will look at the text is that John, he's not, he's coming out on behalf of God. See, but I believe that John the Baptist didn't just come out of the wilderness to preach, but he actually lived in the wilderness. He was there a whole lot of time in the wilderness. And, and, he, and what he was doing, he was leveraging his area. He was leveraging his location, his, his residency. He was, he was leveraging where his house was for the good news of Jesus Christ. John wasn't worried about being in front of the cameras in the city. He was in the wilderness. He wasn't worried about being the, the next big conference speaker at the next big evangelical conference. He, he was coming in from the wilderness. He, was, he wanted people to see, it ain't about me. It ain't about my ability. It, it ain't about what I got. It ain't about where I live. But it's about the one that I'm pointing to, Jesus Christ. So John, he, he leverages his area for the Lord. But not only that, he leverages his attire for the Lord. This is verse 4. What does it say? Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. Uh, when you camel's hair, I, you, I mean, you automatically think, you are, if you're thinking what I'm thinking, I'm like, man, that would have been kind of itchy. But what he's doing is actually in 2 Kings, when Elijah goes out into the wilderness, says Elijah had a clothes of camel's hair and a belt of leather. So in his dress, in his attire, he didn't want people just hearing what he said to represent the gospel. He was actually concerned about what he wore, that people would see Jesus from his attire. People would see, oh, he has on camel's hair, and he has on that, that leather belt. That reminds me of the prophet Elijah. Maybe he's coming like Elijah to give us a word from on high. Maybe he wasn't worried about strutting into Jerusalem down the red carpet. You know how we like watching our, our, war, our war shows and we're trying to find out, I wonder what they're going to wear. 
uh, I wonder what kind of necklace and what kind of heels and what's their hairdo going to look like. Girl, I'm going to try that next week. And we know we just ain't got hair like that. But, but when they're coming down the red carpet, it's to show off what they got and who they are. But John showed up in camo hair. Brother wasn't worried about what y'all thought. He was only concerned about the message that he was about to bring. Beloved, when people see you coming, before you can get a word out your mouth, based upon how you look and how you walk, would, would they even have a hint that this is a godly person? I ain't saying a Christian, I, that this person must know the Lord or something. There's something about their spirit. There's something about their walk. There, there's something about their dress. I mean, they, they, they just look like they got a relationship with the Lord. I don't know what that looks like, but I just know they got a relationship with the Lord. Can it be said of us that when people see us coming, that our, our, uh, even our attire bears forth the gospel? John, he leveraged his area, he, he leveraged his attire, but he even goes one more step, and he leveraged his, his appetite for the Lord. In verse 4b, the second half, it said, and his food was locust and wild honey. Locust and wild honey. It, I don't know if that sounds delicious to you. Now, I have a strange palate. I, I'm liable to try anything once. Ask my wife. I, I eat some weird stuff. I probably would try some locusts and wild honey once. But for most of us, this is not a, this is not appetizing. This does not seem like something that uh, would 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 be good for our palate. But again, here, John is representing an old testament prophet. It, that, that feel they're, they're living off of what God has provided. They're not worried about getting their own. They're not worried about tomorrow's food where, where, where Jesus is talking, where we're coming up on it. Don't be worried about tomorrow for tomorrow has his own worries. He, he, he is actually living out, if I clothe the sparrows, how much more would I take care of you? And what he wants people to see is that my dress, my location, even the food I eat is no big deal. But the only thing that really matters is that you see Jesus in my life. Beloved, have you ever, considering, have you ever considered levering, leveraging what you have for the Lord? What would it look like if you leveraged your money for Jesus? What would it look like if you really leveraged your home for the gospel? What would it look like if you leveraged your car for gospel ministry? Let me back up. What would it look like if you even leveraged your money for the gospel? How generous are you really with your money? Are you only worried about your bills? Or are you caring for the widows or the orphan or the one less than? Do you have a particular ministry that you are pouring your resources into? Are, are you a faithful uh, tither? Are you someone that is known to, to be generous? Uh, that if, if, if somebody needs help, then I'm able to come to their rescue. Not because I want the glory. Not because I want to hold it over their head. But because I see how God has richly blessed me. And I want to walk through life with open hands. I, wanna, I don't want to just hold on to what God has given me. I want to give it to all those people I come in contact with. What does it look like to leverage your home for the gospel? You can't have a gospel-filled home if gospel folks can't come over your house. You can't have a gospel-filled home if can't nobody see how you really live and how you really act. Have you ever opened up your door for somebody in need? Have you ever let somebody crash on your couch, stay in your basement, eat your food, go in your refrigerator? For the gospel. Y'all like, hold, hold up, Pastor. Now, I got stuff in my refrigerator that, that's my business. I'll move on then. 
How can you leverage your car for the gospel? Even here on Tuesday nights, we have the ESL program. One of the hardest things, the most difficult thing that we are facing is to get transportation for the refugees and immigrants to get here from their homes. We just need people to show up and pick up somebody and drop them off. How can, how can we leverage what we have for the gospel? Beloved, we are so selfish. We are only thinking about what we want to do and what we have. But this is not the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is that God gave us his only begotten son. God did not hold back. He didn't withhold nothing good, but he gave us his greatest in Christ Jesus. If we serve a father who gives us good things, then how can we not give good things too? How can you leverage your influence for the gospel? You, got, you, you are not even a supervisor at the job, and you got influence, and you will not speak the name of Jesus because you're worried about your influence. What about in your, in your relationships? How do you leverage, your relation, uh, leverage the gospel? How, how do you take your relationships and leverage them for the gospel? As a husband, as a wife, as a son, daughter, cousin. How, how do we take these relationships? Beloved, what has God given that you could be using for the spread of the gospel? Thirdly and lastly, we know that John was qualified to point others to the Lord because he walked with humility before the Lord. Verse 11, we see this just quickly where he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. Now, John has a sense of humility, and he knows that though he has a powerful and mighty message, that he is nothing in comparison to Jesus. One of the problems in our lives is we think we're more than what we really are. What John is saying, when he's saying, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, what he's saying that in, in, in the culture, when you were going to one's home, the lowest person, the, the servants of the house, would come and take off your sandals and, 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 and wipe your feet. And it wouldn't be a Jew. It would be, it would be a Gentile because they were thought of even lower by the Jews. Like Gentiles was the lowest that you could go. But so what John is actually saying, he's saying, I, I, I am not even worthy of the lowest of the low. I'm not worthy to even touch Jesus' sandals. Beloved, do, do we ever have that posture before the Lord? Or do we go before the Lord like, Lord, you owe me. Don't you know I was good all last week? I ain't cussed nobody out. Believing that God owes us something when really we're not even worthy to touch his sandals. Beloved, we see this humility of John play out in the third chapter of the Gospel of John. In most situations, when someone else comes along and and has a, a bigger ministry or a bigger business, it's easy for uh, the, the person who is usurped to have uh, this, this jealousy. But not John. He knew his place. Here in verse 25, it says, Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and the Jews over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. Look, John, everybody leaving you. Your entourage, your posse, your, your crew is getting small. Verse 27, John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. He said, all, all I got right now is because of God in the first place. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. 
the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. In verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. Beloved, is that your cry? I must decrease that Jesus may increase. This is what Paul is saying, that I have been crucified with Christ. I must decrease. I must go low that Jesus may, may, may rise up within me and lead me and guide me and take over this life. Beloved, one thing that John the Baptist had that was so attractive is that John the Baptist had humility. He knew that everything he had was for, from the Lord, and he would use it for the Lord. So though humility attracts, pride distracts. We know how it is. We walk into a room, and we want everyone to look at us. To, to, uh, we want the conversation to be about us. We, we're, we're in that conversation with people, and, and we're doing that, that one-up game. You know the one-up game. Somebody tell a story, and then the person that they're talking to, they don't acknowledge the story. They just tell another story to one-up that story. Yeah, you know, I, I was sick this week. You know, I had bronchitis. Oh, yeah, I was sick, too. I had a sinus infection and a broke leg. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Well, I fell off a cliff, and I rolled all the way to the bottom. Oh, what about, and we, uh, we one-up one another. You trying to tell the person how the Lord has blessed you, and, and all of a sudden they want to steal your blessings and the whole conversation. Beloved, that's pride. That distracts. You're not being a good listener. You're not walking in humility. You're, you're walking in pride. Can it be said that you walk in humility? Beloved, this hero, John the Baptist, shows us so many things. And we see how John preached for the Lord. John leveraged all that he had for the Lord. And John walked in humility before the Lord. And, and when we think about John the Baptist, according to this, the world's standards, John was a good dude. He was committed to God. The text tells us in his birth narrative that he didn't drink. He didn't smoke. He wasn't materialistic. He was a bold witness for the Lord. And, and even though he called out the religious leaders, he didn't hurt nobody. The world values being good. Obey your parents. Get good grades. Get a job. Don't kill nobody. The world would say that John lived a good life. That he, that he probably did more good than bad. Christians would say that John was good because he probably read his Bible every day and prayed every day and shared his faith every day. But here's the thing. None of that makes you acceptable to God. You can't count on being good enough to be accepted by God. And beloved, if I were truly honest, and if we were truly honest with ourselves, we know that we're really not good. If anything, we often fail and we often fall. If we were just to replay the events of just last week, there may not be any major failures, but we know we haven't been fully good. We fail to have the right attitude all day, uh, every day of the week. Just woke up on the wrong side of the bed, just woke up angry. Got gas in your car, money in your bank, food in your table, still woke, just angry. We fail to say the right word. We fail to be as generous as we should be. And beloved, if we are really, really honest, we really haven't valued Jesus like we should be. You know what the Bible calls these failures? Sin. Romans 3.23 tells us for the wages, for no, Romans 3.23 says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So you know what that means? That means you fall short, I fall short, we all fall short. We all have these moments that we are failures and are not doing the right thing. 
And the word of God also tells us in Romans 6, 23, that for the wages of sin is death. That because of these failures, we deserve to be separated from God. We deserve to be, we, we deserve to be punished by the wrath of God because of our disobedience towards him. Beloved, we can't look to good works to rescue us from our failures. We must look to Jesus. Because where we have failed, Jesus has been victorious. Jesus, the, the one who never sinned in any thought or deed. You know, those, those bad, wrong thoughts that you have uh, when, when somebody cut you off on the freeway. You, uh, oh, Lord, if, if you could get away with it, the things that you would do to them. But you know what? That even when Jesus was cut off by that other donkey, he, he never had a wrong thought. In his personal interactions with the disciples, even when they were acting like a fool, Jesus didn't lose his temper with them like we have. In every single aspect of life, the text tells us he has been tempted just as we were, but yet without sin. For the goodness that we've been trying to, to, to accomplish, we will never find it in ourselves. But we must look to the, the goodness. Better yet, we must look to the perfection of Jesus Christ for our salvation. See, my fear is that many of us here today and many other good Christians are basing their acceptance by God, their access into heaven on their goodness. But here's the deal. God doesn't want our goodness. He wants perfection. That's why we must look to the one who lived the life that we could not live. And the one who died the death that we deserve, Jesus Christ. And John knew this. That's why he wasn't pointing people to himself. He was pointing people to Jesus. John wasn't pointing people to a lifestyle of morality, of do's and don'ts. He was pointing people to Jesus. And John wasn't pointing people to be like the religious leaders around him. John was pointing people to the only perfect person, Jesus Christ. Beloved, if you're here today and you have not trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you to look to Jesus for salvation. Look to Jesus and be saved because the text of Scripture tells us in Romans 10, 13 that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Recognize your goodness is as filthy rags and you can never be good enough to get to heaven. But through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, you can be saved. Look to Jesus for salvation. But beloved, if you are a, a follower of Jesus Christ, I encourage you to look to Jesus for hope. Because it's easy to look at all our failures. It's easy to look at all our faults. And to think we'll never get it right. But beloved, we don't have to get it right. Because we got the one who got it right in Jesus. And when we look towards him, he will give us the strength and the energy. And when we don't take our eyes off of him, then we are able to walk and pursue him and to grow in sanctification. Beloved, because serving Jesus is life's greatest pursuit, you should value a life of service for Jesus as the greatest. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And I ask that you would transform us by and through your word, that we would not leave this place the same. But please cause us to value Jesus for who he is, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And please cause us to live lives that demonstrate that we really value you. And instead of, and instead of valuing ourselves as greatest, that we would value service unto you as greatest. So, Father, help us to understand this as a church, as the body of Christ, and help us to go now and to live this. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Beloved, the call is clear. If you're here today and you have never trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, you can do so today. You can repent of your sin and turn towards Jesus by faith. You can come talk to one of our deacons, one of our young men, and we can show you from the scriptures what must you do to be saved. Or you may be here, you're a follower of Jesus, and you're stuck in a various aspect of your life, or 
you haven't been leveraging all that you have for the Lord, you haven't been preaching the word, or you've just been living for yourself, you can come, you can repent, and we can pray with you, pray for you. Or maybe you're here today and there's a load in life that's just heavy right now. You want someone to pray with you, to touch and agree. 